Hello, and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Margaret Parker. Today, I will be speaking with Jerry J. Zimmerman, MD, PhD, on his articles, Critical Illness Factors Associated with Long-Term Mortality and Health-Related Quality of Life Morbidity Following Community-Acquired Pediatric Septic Shock, and Trajectory of Mortality and Health-Related Quality of Life Morbidity Following Community-Acquired Pediatric Septic Shock, published in Critical Care Medicine in March 2020. To access the full articles, visit ccmjournal.org. Dr. Zimmerman is Professor of Pediatrics and Anesthesiology and a faculty member and Emeritus Division Chief of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine at Seattle Children's Hospital and Harborview Medical Center, University of Washington School of Medicine in Seattle, Washington. Welcome, Jerry. Uh, Good morning, Margaret. Thanks uh, for the uh, invitation uh, to present these two articles. We're happy to have you here. Uh, Would you start by talking about the scope of sepsis? How big a problem is it anyway? So just uh, recently uh, uh, in uh, Lancet, uh, uh, an article uh, examined sort of the global burden of sepsis. uh, And uh, out of this article comes this uh, striking statistic that once every three seconds, someone uh, in the world dies of sepsis. And about 40% of these deaths are in children uh, that are under uh, five years uh, of age. And uh, for patients who are in the hospital, at least in developed uh, countries, uh, sepsis is the leading uh, cause uh, of uh, death. Uh, What's good about uh, children is uh, mortality from sepsis has really decreased considerably in the last uh, several decades. And uh, with that comes this uh, opportunity, sort of what these two articles are about, for uh, researchers, uh, and I would say also clinicians, to begin changing their focus from mortality. Of course, it's still hugely important, but because there are increasing survivors, we can now think about really uh, uh, focusing our attention on what is going to be the long-term Uh, outcome, functional status, quality of life in these patients. Can you tell us about the LAPS study? So the uh, LAPS uh, study, uh, Life uh, After Pediatric uh, Sepsis uh, Evaluation, uh, was a a prospective uh, cohort uh, outcome uh, study. Uh, This was... uh, uh, designed to address the uh, uh, two uh, specific aims, basically, uh, that are described in the uh, titles of these two articles that we're talking about today. The study was uh, conducted in the United States in uh, 12 uh, uh, academic uh, uh, pe- pediatric intensive care units. Enrollment occurred between July of 2014 and uh, uh June of 2017, and the children that were enrolled in this study uh, were thought to uh, uh, have uh, uh, highly suspected or actually diagnosed uh, infection. Uh, Antibiotics were prescribed to these kids. Cultures were taken, 
And all of these children also were receiving, were receiving vasoactive inotropic uh, support uh, as an indicator of uh, septic shock. Uh, uh, almost all of these children also required some uh, type of uh, mechanical uh, ventilation support. Uh, the study uh, collected information about demographics, illness severity, organ dysfunction, and resource utilization. And then the main focus of this uh, LAPS investigation was to uh, follow uh, uh, functional status and uh, quality of life, in particular, in particular over the uh, one year following uh, these uh, children's admission uh, to hospitals for the index uh, sepsis event. How did you measure functional status and quality of life? For functional uh, status, uh, we used uh, two tools. The uh, tool that most everyone is familiar with is called the Pediatric Overall Performance uh, Category uh, uh, Score, or POPC. This has been well validated uh, in the PICU population. Uh, and in addition, we use this other more recently developed tool called the Functional Status Scale. Uh, this is actually a, a much more granular instrument, and it really was uh, designed specifically for uh, uh, use in uh, clinical uh, studies uh, among critically ill patients uh, as, as a measure of uh, functional uh, status. And, and we use both of these instruments uh, measuring the children or assessing the children at their baseline at seven days, uh, and then at hospital discharge or 28 days. And how about quality of life? So quality of life, uh, we uh, also used uh, two different measures uh, uh, for different reasons. Most of the uh, uh, children uh, were assessed with this well-known tool, uh, the Pediatric Quality of Life uh, Inventory. Uh, this is uh, probably the most validated uh, at least pediatric quality of life uh, instrument that is uh, available. It really covers the entire spectrum of uh, ages. Uh, we also utilize this tool called the Stein-Jessup Functional Status Scale, which really is not just a functional status measurement, but a measure of uh, overall or general health. Uh, and we use this tool because some parents of uh, children with uh, very with significant uh, developmental delay uh, said to us that the questions in the PEDS-QL just did not make sense for their child. So for that reason, uh, and to ensure that we could uh, really engage these uh, children with uh, uh, significant uh, uh, baseline uh, uh, disabilities, uh, we uh, actually decided to use uh, both tools. This is a, uh, a liability for the study, uh, some might say, because we did use two different tools. On the other hand, uh, in the end, I think uh, the investigators view this as an asset because we really were uh, able to uh, assess all children uh, uh, in terms of their quality of life with tools that made sense uh, to the parents who were providing these serial 
proxy assessments of their children. How many children did you study and what were your um, findings? Well, uh, in uh, total, uh, over this enrollment period between 2014 and 2017, uh, 838 children were screened. Of these, uh, 632 uh, met the inclusion and exclusion criteria, and uh, 90% of these uh, children uh, were approached for enrollment into the study. Uh, ultimately, uh, 392 of these children, uh, or uh, 69% of those that were eligible, uh, were uh, actually uh, enrolled. So we think those are uh, pretty good uh, uh, numbers. Our uh, uh, findings, uh, uh, let me just sort of go through this uh, 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 systematically. First of all, in terms of uh, infectious disease uh, status, uh, about half of these children, uh, 49%, uh, uh, had a documented uh, bacterial uh, infection. Uh, uh, 20% of them uh, basically had a viral infection uh, with clinical sepsis. Another 20% had uh, combined uh, virus and bacterial infections. And then 32% uh, uh, of the cohort never uh, demonstrated uh, uh, any positive culture uh, or a positive uh, polymerase chain reaction uh, testing for uh, a virus. Of the uh, 392 participants, uh, we had good representation across the entire age uh, spectrum for children uh, uh, from uh, neonates basically to uh, children up uh, to uh, 18 years of age. About 45% uh, of uh, the participants uh, were female, and 17% uh, of these kids uh, were immunocompromised uh, in some way. In terms of uh, initial severity, uh, uh, these children were assessed with both uh, PRISM as well as the uh, Pediatric Logistic Organ Dysfunction uh, uh, score on day one. Uh, with uh, PRISM and PLOD scores, of, uh, median scores of 11 and 9. The uh, median uh, PICU and hospital days were uh, 9 and 16. Um, the uh, median duration of vasoactive inotropic support was 3 days, uh, and for mechanical ventilation, 8 days. Uh, of this uh, cohort, 38 uh, required renal replacement therapy for a median of eight days and 27 required extracorporeal life support also for a medium uh, of uh, eight uh, days. I think it's notable that at baseline in terms of gross functional status, only 38% of these uh, kids uh, had a normal functional uh, status by the uh, POPC uh, score. Uh, and uh, at uh, the uh, time of uh, reassessment uh, at one month, uh, the majority of these uh, children remain below their baseline uh, 
pediatric cerebral performance category, as well as pediatric overall uh, performance uh, category. And this was uh, ascertained uh, with the uh, functional uh, status score data. Uh, uh, utilizing this instrument at baseline, uh, approximately 50% of these children uh, had a, a normal status utilizing this instrument. But again, at hospital discharge or 28 days, uh, the majority of these children uh, uh, were abnormal uh, compared to their baseline uh, as uh, assessed following the sepsis event. For uh, quality of life, again, we used uh, two instruments. Um, and if you just look at the uh, scores uh, of these two quality of life measures, uh, and uh, it's important that both have a scale from zero to 100, um, the uh, nadir of quality of life, as you might expect, occurred on day seven, while most of these kids were still in the intensive care unit. If you look at ch children who were assessed with the PEDS-QL, they mostly, or as a median uh, of the group, uh, were sort of back to normal by uh, three months uh, with a lot of variation, obviously. Uh, and interestingly, for the kids with uh, baseline severe developmental delay uh, as medians, they seem to be, as a group, mostly back to baseline by one month. That was an unexpected but interesting uh, finding. And between, uh, you know, three months and 12 months, there was really very uh, little uh, additional uh, improvement in these uh, quality of life scores. Uh, I don't want to forget to mention that one of the big strengths of this investigation that was that all of these children were assessed at baseline or assessed for their baseline functional status or quality of life. So the subsequent measurements at one, three, six, and 12 months uh, all uh, were referenced to this uh, baseline. So for children that were, that were assessed with the uh, uh, PEDS-QL instrument, uh, there was a, a significant proportion uh, who remained below their baseline quality of life, uh, one, three, six, and 12 months uh, with these follow-up assessments. And similar uh, findings uh, were noted for the children uh, who were assessed with the uh, uh, Stein-Jessup uh, functional uh, status uh, score. Uh, in total, in-hospital mortality was uh, approximately 9%, and by 12 months following the sepsis event, another 4% of these children had died. So 12-month mortality associated with pediatric sepsis uh, is uh, currently 13%. If you combine all of the data related to quality of life, fully 35% uh, of these children uh, still remained uh, below their baseline quality of life at one year. Uh, this was uh, striking to me. I think it was striking to all the investigators. Sure, most of these uh, uh, kids uh, were getting back to normal, but at least a third of them remained below their baseline. Uh, this was noted uh, at three months and basically persisted at the six and 12 month uh, follow-ups. 
So there is uh, definitely a large proportion of children who remain below their baseline, even as far as a year out following uh, the sepsis event. Would you talk about what variables you looked for for association with outcomes? Sure. Uh, let me just define uh, some uh, thing, some definitions uh, that we use for this part of the study. Uh, for uh, death, uh, we looked at all-cause mortality. Then we other we looked at this other, uh, I would say, new variable that we call persistent and serious uh, deterioration of quality of life. And we define this using either of the quality of life instruments uh, as persisting more than 25% uh, below baseline uh, quality uh, of life. So we didn't arbitrarily pick thresholds for these instruments. We used each individual's baseline and then uh, watched how these patients trajectory back towards uh, their baseline happened or didn't happen. And if they remained more than 25% below their baseline, we said, this is a serious uh, uh, deterioration of quality of life. And if you combine these two measures, death and poor quality of life, we define this as a a poor uh, outcome. So, the uh, variables uh, in univariable analysis that we uh, considered uh, uh, as possible uh, associations uh, for these uh, uh, outcomes uh, were severity of illness at admission, uh, utilizing either PRISM or PLOD, the uh, maximal and cumulative organ dysfunction that we measured by PLOD, the uh, maximum and cumulative vasoactive inotropic scores, the uh, duration of mechanical ventilation, the need for rescue therapies like renal replacement therapy or extracorporeal life support or cardiopulmonary resuscitation. Uh, We looked at a unique measure, I don't think this has been done before, which was the uh, uh, the uh, magnitude of deterioration of functional status that occurred during the first seven days of ICU admission. Uh, we looked at any new uh, pathological uh, neurologic sign or event. This could be new seizures, uh, a new intracranial bleed, uh, cerebral edema. Uh, we looked at ICU duration of stay, uh, and uh, at least for quality of life, uh, we also uh, examined patient age, uh, uh, which uh, was uh, an important variable. In the end, on multivariable regression analysis, uh, and there were many possible models, but uh, within a group of clinicians and statisticians, we chose one that we thought was uh, Uh, biologically plausible and clinically uh, relevant. So this final model uh, included the summation of daily PLOD or organ dysfunction scores uh, and the risk for a poor outcome uh, was uh, increased by 1% for every PLOD point. Second, secondarily, uh, the highest vasoactive inotropic score uh, 
was uh, important because uh, for every uh, point, uh, the patient had a uh, 2% uh, increased risk of a poor outcome. And then as uh, expected for uh, any acute uh, pathologic neurologic sign or event, uh, the patient's uh, risk uh, increased uh, fivefold. So in this model, cumulative organ dysfunction per PLOD, basically intensity of septic shock uh, by the uh, uh, vasoactive inotropic score uh, or any uh, uh, pathologic neurologic event uh, were independently associated uh, very highly statistically uh, significant with a poor outcome. Can you tell us about the limitations of your study? Sure. Well, the biggest limitation of uh, this study uh, was uh, loss to follow-up. And um, this is always a challenge for a longitudinal investigation like this. And uh, we actually had a a very experienced team in place to do these uh, follow-ups. And these were conducted, uh, uh, some of them in person, many by telephone, some over the uh, internet, uh, uh, some even using uh, uh, applications on uh, uh, smartphones. So we tried a variety of techniques. Uh, we also reimbursed uh, families for their time for doing so. However, uh, the fact of the matter is that at 12 months, we, we still had uh, uh, only about 50% of uh, the patients uh, uh, that uh, originally uh, had baseline uh, data who remained uh, in the study. So this is a, a, a significant liability. What I can say, however, is if you look at the group that dropped off, uh, at least in some ways, uh, they were uh, uh, more seriously ill. Their PLOD scores uh, initially and PRISM scores were uh, pretty uh, close to each other. But in terms of cumulative PLOD scores or, or for example, uh, mechanical ventilation days or vasoactive support, uh, the group of patients uh, that were lost to follow-up actually demonstrated higher illness severity with these variables. So we chose to use data that was, I would say, solid. uh, so the, we report uh, as our primary outcomes uh, data without imputation, but uh, in the electronic supplement of uh, the uh, second article, we also uh, report uh, data uh, utilizing multiple imputation uh, techniques uh, and, and plug-in uh, values that are uh, missing. And when uh, this is done, Uh, the final results are even uh, more striking. That is, uh, a greater proportion of children uh, for a longer duration demonstrate uh, this persistence of uh, poor uh, quality of life uh, over uh, the uh, serial assessments uh, all the way to one year. So it's a liability. Uh, We address the liability with imputation and the results uh, are even more striking. So the primary results that we report are probably an actual underestimate of uh, this total burden 
of poor quality of life following pediatric sepsis. What are the implications of these studies for clinicians? What should we take away from these two papers? So I think, you know, um, uh, it, at least for me, uh, I, I guess I should just speak for myself, but uh, when you work in the intensive care unit, uh, you are, one of the goals is to uh, uh, wean these uh, patients proactively off of their support and, you know, get them out of the ICU and out of the hospital. And uh, to date, uh, you know, we've been sort of largely blinded by what happens uh, afterward, although I I will say there is increasing evidence uh, of interest in in what happens afterward. And I think this study specifically provides quantitative uh, data that all is not well, uh, even though we have rescued most of these patients from their organ dysfunction uh, when they leave the intensive care unit. And just uh, as a... uh, Uh, Something new to think about, uh, in general, uh, at least a third of children surviving their septic shock are not normal with respect to their quality of life. They uh, uh, remain uh, uh, in a clinically significant way uh, below their baseline, and there may be a number of reasons for that. One of the purposes of this study was to really examine this idea of a composite measure for future interventional clinical trials. Uh, If you would want to use mortality nowadays uh, as an outcome measure, uh, you would need to enroll uh, uh, many thousand patients uh, in uh, each group uh, if you were targeting a a 25 uh, or 20% effect size from the intervention. Uh, And this is because mortality is now quite low. But if you uh, utilize this idea of uh, death or a a significantly poor quality of life uh, at the follow-up assessment time point, then you have a baseline occurrence of this uh, outcome measure that is uh, somewhere between 25 and 37%, uh, depending upon whether you want to look at one month or three months. And, and this is a logistically feasible, uh, it is a clinically meaningful uh, endpoint uh, that I think uh, deserves uh, uh, a closer look. Uh, and in fact, uh, the current stress hydrocortisone and pediatric uh, septic shock trial uh, that is about to kick off in the United States uh, will uh, use this approach, that is, uh, death or uh, persistent uh, serious deterioration as quali- of, in quality of life as a primary uh, outcome measure. And then lastly, I would just say that um, in thinking uh, about uh, this uh, poor quality of life following pediatric septic shock, uh, there's two things. Uh, one is, uh, is this a result of the individual disease process? Uh, and that is, you know, septic shock in this case. Uh, and or does this also almost certainly involve how we take uh, care, of, care of our patients? And as you probably know, the data, adult data from ICU uh, liberation are unequivocal uh, in terms of 
uh, uh, changing how we uh, uh, take care of our patients by uh, uh, actively, proactively weaning sedation and uh, mechanical ventilation and encouraging mobilization uh, can make a huge uh, difference. So I think there are uh, things that we can do in terms of how we provide general care to uh, critical care to children with pediatric uh, septic uh, shock uh, and also probably the earliest uh, recognition uh, of uh, infection. And lastly, uh, this uh, Poor quality of life is out there in a significant number of patients, uh, and uh, not only uh, primary care physicians should be aware of this, but uh, critical care physicians should be aware as well, because they may be the uh, best information source for a primary care physician uh, as to exactly uh, what people should be looking out for based on what happened in the intensive care unit. Thank you for walking us through these two very important papers. Do you have any final comments? Where do we go from here? Yeah, I think, uh, again, I don't have all the uh, answers, uh, but now we have data uh, on uh, uh, what the signal is in terms of long-term morbidity and mortality after pediatric sepsis. And and, and now I think we need to... uh, uh, not change our focus in t- terms of doing our best to resuscitate these patients in the uh, in the PICU when they come in with sepsis, but we also need to be cognizant of the fact that there is lasting morbidity, uh, and we need to look uh, at ways that we might address that as well. Thank you very much, Jerry, for talking with us today. Well, it is uh, my pleasure. I appreciate uh, uh, the invitation. Thanks very much, Margaret. We have been talking with Dr. Jerry Zimmerman from Seattle Children's Hospital about two articles on outcomes after community-acquired pediatric septic shock published in Critical Care Medicine in March 2020. This concludes another edition of the iCritical Care podcast. For the iCritical Care podcast, I'm Dr. Margaret Parker. Margaret Parker, MD, MCCM, is Professor Emeritus of Pediatrics at Stony Brook University in New York. She is a former president of the Society of Critical Care Medicine. She is currently serving as Associate Editor of Critical Care Medicine and Senior Associate Editor of Pediatric Critical Care Medicine. Join or renew your membership with SCCM the only multi-professional society dedicated exclusively to the advancement of critical care. Contact a customer service representative at 847-827-6888 or visit sccm.org membership for more information. The iCritical Care podcast is the copyrighted material of the Society of Critical Care Medicine and all rights are reserved. Statements of fact and opinion expressed in this podcast are those of authors and participants and do not imply an opinion or endorsement on the part of the Society of Critical Care Medicine, its officers, volunteers, or members, or that of the podcast commercial supporter.